My name is PJ. Uh, I perform as the repeat beat poet. Um, I'm a hip hop and spoken word artist, broadcaster, uh, and also a uh, activist. I'm accepting that term now and standing in that term. That's who I am. That's what I do. Fantastic. Cool. Well, um, as I said, thank you for doing this interview. What are your views on the recent events in the USA, the killings of George Floyd and Tony McDade, uh, the protests, the police clampdown? My views are that I feel it's a moment of vindication for black people who have been aware of the way in which these public killings are... They come in cycles and phases, whereas this one, specifically because of this time that we're in, it feels like a moment of sort of the way Vietnam was was publicised through TV and it showed what TV could do to galvanise and mobilise social movements. I feel that, that this specific killing, not that there aren't shamefully still regularly extrajudicial killings of black people in the US and across the world. I feel that this one, because everyone else is in lockdown, has been spread so widely. I feel it's like a moment of vindication for a lot of activists because it shows how change can happen very quickly. Cool. Okay. Uh, so next question. What are your views about the protests? Um, I feel that the protests, the protests for black life and for black freedom, for black liberation, are vital in achieving concessions from the oppressive system that we're living in. They are by no means the totality of the strategy, but they are such a key way of showing mobilized oppressed peoples how they can bring themselves together and collectivize their power. Um, the, the, the power of the protests is to show that you are not alone in your thought, you are not alone in supporting the, <coughs> you're not alone in supporting black life and black freedom against uh, you know, a white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy which is that which is the it's the set of ideologies which has oppressed us and when we have nothing left sorry when there are no uh legal or or civic ways to express dissent that's when authoritarianism and that's when authoritarian uh ways of controlling people fail because people need to be able to express dissent of the system they are in. And so I think that's why these protests are so vital because they've happened uh, concurrently, globally, and they've already achieved concessions from the power structures. Brilliant, thanks. And um, how do you respond to people who say they support peaceful protests but condemn what they call rioting? So um, I respond by asking about the use of coded language and racially coded language um, when we're talking about um, social unrest or civil disobedience. Um, 
the ways in which the word rioting is used, the ways in which uh, non-white protesters are, the ways in which non-white protesters are referred to as thugs or lawless or effectively, it's a way of criminalizing the social, sorry, it's a way of criminalizing civil disobedience. And it's a way of criminalizing what is a legal and you know fundamental human right which is to protest so i think i would respond to the people who say that you know they support peaceful protests but condemn rioting i would say how are they defining i would ask them to investigate how they are defining what is a peaceful protest and what is a riot or looting i would ask them to investigate the histories of how racially coded language has been used to dis to disenfranchise uh, to criminalize and to ultimately try to harm and kill people of color. That's what I would say. Great, thanks. Um, so how similar or different do you think the policing of black and minority ethnic communities is between the USA and the UK and why? So to answer this question, I think it's important we investigate uh, the roots of contemporary and modern policing um, and and they stem the roots of contemporary policing stems from Robert Peel who is where we get the term Bobby's on the beat from he was a London police officer founder of the Metropolitan Police um, and the ways in which modern US policing grew was from these tactics that were practiced by a uh, by a London police officer. So th the tactics themselves are not my point right now, but the point is to look at where the tradition of modern policing stems from and comes, uh, stems from and where it results. So it starts with Robert Peel. Robert Peel tries, tries out a lot of colonial uh, management of people and colonial management of dissent. He trials it first in Ireland and in a lot of the uh, geographically, uh, a lot of the geographical colonies that are sorry, a lot of the, a lot of the colonies that are geographically close to the UK, um, and so this is the first exporting of modern policing, and it's actually um, the first time that, uh, it, it's the first time that we see um, this new idea of policing, which isn't just about pure top-down oppression; it's also about infiltration to a group um, and ways to uh, ways to uh, sow disunity and ways to break up revolutionary independent movements that threaten power structures and so it's really important to remember that revolutionary movements that threaten power structures the framework of how to put down those movements was started by Robert Peel and the Met Police and the English imperial system. So to now move it up to America, you have how the policing system is developed on the same tactics that Robert Peel used, but is applied not only to colonial subjects, but specifically to slaves in America uh, and to other non-white peoples in America. The policing has a different front face. It has a different public face. And obviously the way in which American policing is done can be uh, obviously 
far more public, far more extreme. There are lynchings in all but name still going on to this day. Um, and I think that uh, we shouldn't be surprised by the militarized police system of America when we learn the tradition that it comes from. Um, I think that similar to a lot of the dis disparities in how people of color are treated in America and the UK, the American system can be uh, a lot more visible, loud, extreme. This is just to put them on a, you know, a full spectrum, one or the other, whereas the UK tends to be a lot more uh, coded in, uh, you know, legalese, history, classism, uninvestigated racism. And with the UK, it's embedded right at the heart, but we pretend it isn't. And by it, I mean uh, the racialized policing system. In the UK, we pretend it's not there, but it's embedded. In the US, it's embedded and everyone knows it's embedded. It's a founding type of core tenant of America. You don't get America without genocide and slavery. The UK was brilliant at industrializing and exporting genocide and slavery. That's the link. Oh, I think you muted yourself there, Janine. <laughs> I did. I was trying to stop my dog heckling, which, which she did in a meeting earlier today. Uh, okay, so there, people are starting to think about um, how to change the police or even just get rid of them altogether. So various demands have been raised. What specific demands do you think will be effective against police brutality? People have variously called for defunding the police, disarming the police, scrapping the police, making the police accountable to elected scrutiny committees, sacking all the coppers and making them reapply for their own jobs, um, reorienting the police towards helping vulnerable people and away from social control. Um, which of those do you agree with? Um, which do you prefer? Are there others um, that you would advocate? So... To preface my answer to this, I would say that um, I've, I'm not as uh, well read in the issues of, uh, of police abolition as I'd like to be, but uh, just a few, a few great authors to check out before answering this question. Angela Davis has written a lot about the, uh, the carceral system in America and the abolition of prisons. Um, a, a guy called uh, Alex Vitale just released a book which is currently free on Ver Verso Books, which is called The End of Policing. And I think they're my first two uh, ways into this school of thought. With all that said, um, I feel that any defunding of the police is an incredibly good thing because as we defund the police, um, it allows us to reframe the purpose of what we do sorry it allows us to reframe the purpose of how we fund the police do we fund them with the purpose of xyz do we fund them with the purpose of protecting property and protecting the ruling class or do we reintegrate an idea of policing back into social cohesion if we reframe the if we reframe the, uh, the energy of defund the police to refund social services, refund social care, 
a lot of the things that police are now being expected to do. And of course, this is a police force in the UK that has been severely underfunded as part of austerity policy since 2010. Um, and it's also a police force which has been increasingly removed from the community which it seeks to police all across the country since the 80s. Um, and so defund the police with a view to refund or at least refocus financial energy around social good. That's step, well, that's the thing I agree about. Disarming the police in this country, that's, um, it's a hard question because you have to look at the ways in which police are quietly, uh, quietly militarized and they're, uh, and, they're, and they're quietly escalating things. Um, so I, I agree with disarming the police. And a lot of that is about um, riot control tactics and protest control tactics. Um, I'm not particularly versed on that. Um, scrap the police. I agree with the sentiment because I think it's the sort of level of extremity we need to have to get to any point of actual purposeful reform. If that can happen, I'm not sure it can. But people saying scrap the police. Yep, fine for that because um, it's the sort of attitude we need to have. Uh, make them accountable to elected scrutiny committees. Yes, uh, especially if they're, um, especially if the police are accountable to a small community in which they operate, uh, or just you know a, a a locale in which they operate. It means that you don't get the same uh, the same uh, thin blue line prote uh, police protection which is most clearly exemplified in America, um, you know, where, where prosecutions of police officers, uh, state employees that have killed public citizens is, is remarkably low. Similarly, in the UK, we have a ferociously disgusting lack. We have a ferociously disgusting lack of the ability to prosecute police officers once people have died in police custody. And so I'm, yep, I, I'm good with that. Um, sack all cops and make them reapply for their jobs. I, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. I don't think that immediately that's a good response because I think it's quite short-sighted. Um, but I understand why people would ask that question and, and suggest that. I think we need a better framework um, for, 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 for radically providing the purposes and the services that the police are meant to do. Um, and reorient the police towards helping vulnerable people and away from social control. Yes, this is what we should do. This is what we should do with society in general. Reorient our institutions towards helping vulnerable people and away from the control of the ruling class currently. Um, other other ways of police. Well, other recommendations I would have for contemporary policing um, would be to. Um, properly and accurately contextualize the history of British state policing with the imperial and colonial history, history of the British state. I think to have policing here as like a separate issue, which is somehow locked off from the wider context narrative of British history is, is wildly inaccurate and will lead to results that are inaccurate and unhelpful. To truly understand what we need to do with contemporary policing in the UK, we need to understand the history of the UK, uh, the imperial history, the colonial history, the post-war history of the UK. And we need to, we need to see the, the through lines because how bad the policing is now and Lord, it is bad. 
does not come from nowhere. It comes from a history. So yeah, that's 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 the last thing I would advocate there. Connect up those histories. Great, thanks. Um, okay, so as a spoken word artist, how have you used the medium of spoken word um, to fight racism? What do you think are its strengths and its limits, if any, in the anti-racist struggle? So personally, I've been... Um, I think the term spoken word artist, um, it derives from a wider history of the poetic tradition. Um, and so I'm, I'm a sort of slightly substitute in poet for spoken word artist there. Um, and I think, uh, how, how have I used poetry to fight racism? Um, I've been using poetry as a way to process my thoughts and, uh, and process my experiences, thoughts and opinions of the world around me since I started writing poetry. Obviously, because of who I am and the chances of my birth, etc., I was born in the UK, in Essex, as a black person, two Ghanaian parents. And so I've been using my poetry as a way to fight racism consistently for as long as I've had a knowledge of racist experiences and the racism of the world. Um, specifically, in this time, I've not been writing very much poetry, but I have been writing when I need to. But I've been viewing the role of the poet in public differently because I see how um, a poet's proximity and respect for truth and respect for what we call social goods, justice, equity, um, reciprocity, Outside of this country, outside of the UK, poetry has a far, um, a far clearer connection with social activism. In this country, poetry has been a bit divorced. It's been more towards the entertainment side as it's grown as an industry post, you know, 2006, seven, the rise of Kate Tempest, etc. I know I'm talking to you, Janine, I'll have to tell you about the history of poetry in the UK, but like, especially about the history of poetry getting back to activism in the UK. So what I've been doing is, I think, I've just been redirecting people to poets who are using their platform as an artist with a close proximity to, to reflecting a truth. I've been highlighting and platforming those people and I've been seeing where those people who follow in the activist tradition of poetry, I've been interested to see where they pop up. Solomon O.B. won a, uh, like he won the BBC Slam or, or, or a Hammer and Tongue Slam a few years ago. But as the uh, Colston statue was being uh, torn down in Bristol, Solomon was a person who stood up on that plinth and spoke to the people. He is a poet. Um, Ali Hasina has been on BBC Newsnight recently. They are a great poet. Uh, George the Poet has obviously been doing a lot of... Um, good introductory level anti-racism and anti-imperialism educating everywhere from time.com to obviously uh, the bbc again this is another poet the poets that are turning up on services like bbc local radio to be able to voice the uh the dissent and voice the civil unrest and to be able to direct people's thoughts and emotions are already there i think that's the that's such a strength of 
poetry in the activist tradition in this country is to be able to give a moment of social unrest, specifically racial social on un, social unrest at racial injustice, to be able to give those feelings effective communicative force because we hear politicians speak we don't believe what they say we hear people speak and we don't believe what they say the benefits of spoken word artistry and poetry is that if you're well not if you're good at it but when done right it can be incredibly effective at getting across the feeling as well as the truth of a moment Cool, thanks. I, 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 think, I think you've already mainly answered the next question, actually, but if there are any uh, names you want to add, uh, which other BAME spoken word artists, or writers or musicians, would you recommend people listen to or read? Okay, so I'm going to just reel off a big list. Uh, Sahema Manzor Khan, uh, uh, she does incredible work around um, anti-colonial educating uh, yeah, so Sahima Mandel Khan, uh, obviously I mentioned um, Aliyah Hasina, George the Poet, uh, Koji Radical as a musical artist. A lot of his music actually, uh, you know, deals with this specific issue. Um, a Of, uh, of the intersections of oppression. And that's an important thing to keep in mind right now. Um, I should have come prepared with a big list of poets, but the other people who are, who are throwing, uh, the, the other names that are coming up in my head, um, Jelly Cleaver. Jelly Cleaver is an activist and musician in London who's been doing great work. Uh, Liv Winter is a great, well, she, she's not black and minority ethnic, uh, but her politics are firmly anti-fascist. Uh, she's good for sharing a lot of resources. Um, what I'm going to do is just, at the end of this conversation, I'll, I'll type out a proper list for you, Janine, and then you can have that, because there's too many, but it's important that whoever they are, wherever they are, sorry, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're listening to this, that you go and find your own canon of black and minority ethnic voices who are speaking out about this that identify that you identify with because i know who i identify with and it might not be the same people as you but the message needs to be the same and the content of the message is still the same so get your anti-racist fix wherever you can i get it a lot from Sahima Mandel khan uh ali hasina george the poet loki uh who else boots riley i absolutely love uh, of the coup he's a uh, uh, an american um african-american dude yeah some of those cool thanks okay so moving on to the next issue which is to what extent do you think police brutality is an issue of class it is an issue of class because the intersections of how people sorry how people are policed is is an intersectional issue because the way in which peoples are policed differs with how they identify. It wasn't so long ago in this country that to be openly queer, openly gay, was punishable under state law. So 
to think about class and policing is to think about <laughs> it's obviously classist police brutality in this country is as classist as this country is this is the same country that when slavery was abolished the largely ruling class but also fairly largely percentage of middle class people in this country who had stock in slaves so they owned human beings as property and a lot of the ruling classes yes that was literally the the the, the you know it was a large part of their business the predominant part of their business uh, whether it was you know uh, we talk about the industrial revolution and all of these uh, crops so we talk about cotton and uh, I don't have to educate about the history of the Industrial Revolution in the UK, but it's important to know that not only was that a ruling class issue, it was also a middle class thing. Middle class people in this country, the UK, Britain, as part of the empire, owned slaves. And we only finished paying off the loan that was given. Sorry, we, the British taxpayer, only finished paying off the loan that we took out to pay these slave owners for the loss of property. We only finished paying that in 2015. I was born in 1994. That means for the time I've been paying taxes, I've been paying off slave owner uh, compensation. And if that's not an issue of class, because where does this money go to? Where is this wealth kept? Where is this wealth extracted from? Where is this wealth taken from? How is this profit leveraged? It is leveraged in the interests of a tiny, a tiny elite and at the vast expense of the vast majority of people. The majority of the way this wealth is created was on the back of impoverished and enslaved black and non-white people. Even the white people, working class white people, suffer at the hands of a classist system as much as anybody else because it does not discriminate class discriminates along sorry the system of power discriminates as it does and as i said before i think it's a bell hooks quote we're dealing with a white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy and where you find class in there is right at the core the whole thing works as a core but active class struggle is central to anti-racist struggle you can't have racism without capitalism and of course and a core tenant of capitalism is class i think yeah that's the thing anti-racism is here uh anti-capitalism is here and you know workers workers taking back the means of their production is crucial to unpicking racism and classism Okay, so um, as it's a class issue, and as, as you say, class struggle is uh, uh, central to the fight against racism, how well do you think the left and the labour movement um, involve BAME people, and how well do you think they fight against racism? What more could they do? So this is, um, to situate this, it's important to note that there was an active colour bar against black and minority ethnic workers in the UK right up until the 60s and 70s. It was still here and, and through the early 80s. Bristol, where we've just had the statue of a slave owner torn down, there was a Bristol bus boycott, which saw 
black workers refuse, sorry, black people refuse to interact with the municipal transport system as a way of, of, of expressing that you cannot have a workers' movement in this country without black people and without, um, it's, the ideolo it's the ideology of injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Like, the left in this country has been, since the 80s and 90s, has been similarly to the populace as a whole, has been learning to publicly appear not to be racist. And I get it, that's a good thing, that's an important thing to start. And between the sort of 80s and uh, the time of Jeremy Corbyn, the, the, both the mainstream left and uh, a lot of the trade union left has been, has been neither here nor there on active, on active anti-racism. There's always individual movements and Lord knows we are thankful for them and it's good work. But on the as a movement, as the labor movement of this country, it's not been an intersectional fight. It's been single issue fights. The amount of conversations with, with you know, about Marxists or, 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 or communists or, 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 or left radicals in any situation that I've had that haven't been able to countenance the intersections of the issues are countless. Um, you look at the makeup of trade unions, if we're just going by demographics, then black people are still severely underrepresented in this field. And it is to the detriment of everyone. It's everyone's loss that the expertise, the knowledge, the experience of anti-racist struggle, which is obviously led by black people in many ways, it's a, it's a, it's a shocking shame that this expertise and this knowledge isn't being valued, taught and shared. Like imagine, not imagine, but look at the way in which um, uh, uh, under, the, under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, the Labour Party was making incredible connections with, uh, you know, uh, with, with, with grime culture through Double Down News, was making connections and was building up social movements with younger, working class, poorer black people. And look at how the actual machinery of the Labour Party responded. It could not countenance having a leader who was so anti-imperialist, so anti-racist. There's a reason why Jeremy Corbyn is known to love black people. We know about his history. He went to Jamaica and did anti-racist action for a long time. And his politics have not changed. But that politics, the politics of Jeremy Corbyn, of Jeremy Corbyn, what I mean is, international anti-racism and anti-imperialism have not been central to the anti-racist fight within the UK. And what does, what does anti-imperialism look like abroad? It looks like anti-racism at home, you know? Like it looks like really doing diligent anti-racist work within whichever communities you find yourself in. And so I think that what more could the left do it could act as if black lives not only matter, but are to be cherished, treasured, valued, uplifted, centered in anti-racist discourse, taught widely as part of British history. 
And for more recommendations, you can find anybody chattering on social media right now about the best ways to uplift, uh, to uplift the anti-racist struggle. That was a long answer because it involved a lot of context, but that's all I have to say on the matter currently. Now, long answers are good, don't you worry. Um, so we finally got to the last question. And the last question is, how important is it for us to debate and educate ourselves about these issues? And are there any subjects or resources that you would recommend? So who is the us in the question? Am I, am I speaking to people in the like, trade union organisation? or just? Yeah, movements? I think anyone who's watching this is likely to see themselves as being on the left. Uh, they're okay. white, they're black, they're maybe a trade unionist, they may be a, a, a young activist. Um, but progressive left-wing kind of people in general. Yep, people who fight for social justice, social justice warriors, you know. Um, okay, so us. I think that if we take that us to be people who want social justice, just straight up, people who want to achieve social justice, then it is incredibly important for us to educate ourselves, pardon me, to educate ourselves about these issues. We need to know the full size of the fight that we're in. We need to know its history. We need to know how best to locate ourselves within anti-racist history, within obviously the, the history of the, the, the places that we find ourselves, be they physical places like, you know, a country, uh, be that uh, a line of work that you're in. And then the issue about debating is interesting to me because I don't think that, I think that to have effective debate, you need, you need debate moderation and you also need a shared idea of what the thing is you're debating. If everybody and their mum has got four different ideas about what capitalism is, then everyone's responses to how to deal with it are going to be different. This is why organisations like, um, like, you know, uh, uh, the Black Panther Party originally had a big political education programme before you became a member. They had a six-week uh, political education programme, and it means that when everybody has been through a, uh, a political education program like that, it means that the effectiveness of the debates that we're likely to have and that we are having is going to be, you know, it's going to be an order of magnitude more effective than if we hadn't done that type of internal education. I think self-education here is, is also very important because one, it's not on people of color to to uh to necessarily you know be providing all of the resources and doing all the anti-racist work unless we're being paid for it and unless it's like part of you know like it, it, it it's it's very it's incredibly frustrating to know that a lot of independent black organizations have been fighting for the liberation of oppressed black people it's so frustrating to know that for years this work has gone unvalued it's gone under the radar people have been written off as you know cranks and people who are not worthy and their information is not worthy of dissemination and ingesting i think that we need to ask why we haven't been educated about anti-racism before and police brutality before 
which leads to an interrogation of the current systems we're in. Then we do some more reading to be like, okay, now let's figure out how we can change this and move it forward. And then we can start debating really between ourselves, people who want to facilitate social change. We can start that debate because there's people who are debating if we even exist. There's people who are debating if we deserve to live. Do you know what I mean? And so like those debates I ain't fussed with. I want to debate as a way to achieve radical praxis, as a way to take theory, marry it with action and give it mobilization. Um, any subjects I recommend people learning about, learn about anti-imperialism, learn about anti-colonialism, learn about police and prison abolition, learn about black liberation struggles, learn about independence movements um, from European colonial powers, um, learn about um, whatever your interests are, like whatever you're into as a person, learn how black people and non-white people have shown up in your field of interest because whatever you're into you know however you've interacted with the world black people have been there too we may have been erased we may have been we may have been written out but you know we're there and there's a concerted effort to erase that and so Find the things you already love, go back into them with a new perspective, an anti-racist perspective. And, you know, um, this isn't a black or white thing. This isn't a, this isn't a, 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 a gender essentialist thing. The, the joy of anti-racism is that you don't even have to pretend that you've never been racist. Everyone's worked, everyone's had to exist within racist systems so the first part of anti-racism is doing the self-investigation to acknowledge where you have your own prejudices the things you might have said the actions you might have done and this is not an easy thing to do lord knows if we you know um if we have another analogy during the moment of of, of, of me too another social justice movement founded by a black woman during this moment i know for me personally as a as a person who identifies as a man as a male it was incredibly difficult for me to do the self-interrogation to see where I, where I had been a tool of the patriarchy, to see how I had abused my privilege as a man, you know. But I had to do that work to get to a place where I could, where, where feminism could help me. And feminism is for me. It's for men in the same way that anti-racism is for white people as much as it is for black people. Racism helps no one. It's not white people versus black people. It's the racists versus everyone. It's a racial system versus everyone. And so I think, I think that that's kind of all I have to say about that. I've been, a lot of people have been asking me for resources and subjects. Um, I will, uh, similar to a list of poets who I've, who I've been listening to, I will find some key resources. But uh, just off the top of my head, um, and actually, off the, off the top of my head and off the top of my bookshelf, we have this book. So Staying Power by, uh, by uh, Peter Fryer. That's an incredible history of, well, a lot of things, but black people in Britain and non-white people in Britain. Um, 
there's this book which is the state of africa by by martin meredith that's um that's another fantastic book about uh african history since colonial times and then finally um uh this book which is uh back to black retelling black radicalism for the 21st century by kahinde andrews this is a good primer into how we can use an international black radical politics to effectively uh reform not reform to rebuild the world on a racially just platform and moving beyond the idea of race as reductive to the sorry beyond the idea of 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 reductive racism uh towards the idea of an inclusive global politics which is centered on blackness but obviously is not exclusionary there's there's ideas in this book that i come back to every day and i cannot recommend it highly enough um yeah there you go I, th I think that's yeah three three books back to black staying power and the state of africa uh resources will all be online um and i'll send you through uh a list of poems and a list of sorry a list of poets and a list of resources that's fantastic uh cheers thank you very much interesting enough works liberty is just about to start an online reading group on staying power good um so uh we'll have a look at the other one the other two as well i think cool um anything to add i would just say um find out who's been doing this work when it wasn't popular find yeah, out yeah. the anti-racist organizations that are close to you either geographically or close to you by what you're interested in or or or, or wherever um and uh obviously attention time is the most important commodity that mm. we have in so many ways so however you're trying however you're practicing your anti-racism is a good thing it's not easy it never has been easy to the white people i know it's not easy to speak about this all the time trust me we know but it's all the more important now that you speak up for black people you direct people sorry you you direct racially privileged people people with a closer proximity to whiteness to black artists and it's important that we keep up the momentum we keep up the struggle and then yeah if you want to donate to me directly i have a uh i have a donations page which is uh coffee.com slash repeat beat poet so ko-fi.com slash repeat beat poet um i will continue to be a voice for the liberation of black people wherever and however i can through my poetry, through my radio shows, through the conversations I have, through through who I am and what I do, I will continue to fight for the freedom of black people. Nina Simone said, freedom is no fear. I'm trying to get past my fear. I'm trying to be free. That's brilliant. What an excellent note to end on. Cheers, Peter. Really appreciate your time. I know that that when we publish this video, it's going to be uh, 
going to give people an awful lot of food for thought, I think. So. I appreciate you so Good. much. And, and, and we'll transcribe it and, and post the text and stuff, and I'll, I'll send it to you first so you can check that I've got what you said okay, yeah? <laughs> Please, yeah, I, I, I'd be honoured. And I just want to say thank you for the consistent years of work you've put into workers' struggles, trade union struggles, and poetry. I really have, have seen... Um, I've seen so much value in, 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 in the work you've done as I've, as I've uh, got to know you a bit more over the past three, four, five years. Um, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you for you as well and for the work you're doing.